All right, turn to two passages of Scripture, please. Joshua 5 and Ruth chapter 4. What I mean by that is open your Bibles to Joshua 5 and then put a marker at Ruth chapter 4. Ruth is only two books to the right. Uh, the way you remember this, you've got the five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. And then you have three books you can remember the order, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And you can think to yourself, I don't know why he judged her. <laughs> Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So put a marker at Ruth chapter four, open to Joshua chapter five. We're beginning a new series called Game Changer. What, what does it mean to make a game-changing or a life-altering decision? Just like you heard Marissa's testimony there, uh, I heard a testimony like that about a month ago when I was on vacation. I played golf with a guy named Mark Bradley. Uh, Mark Bradley is a teaching pro. Uh, he was the head pro at this country club, and now he's a teaching pro. I don't say just, but he's moved that position because of his schedule, because he uh, also helps his son. Before I tell you who his son is, uh, if you're a golfer, you'll recognize, but his sister is Pat Bradley. Pat Bradley is the woman who's won the most PGA tournaments, LPGA tournaments of any woman ever. She's in the World Golf Hall of Fame. That's his sister. His son is named Keegan Bradley. Uh, he's won three tournaments so far. It's his second year on tour. Last year, on his, in his first year on tour, he won the PGA Championship, which is amazing to win a major your first year on tour. And so I played golf with his father, uh, Mark Bradley, and Mark told me that he had struggled with alcoholism most of his life. And four years ago, he was sitting in his house, and he had a bottle, and he was drinking, and he said he, just like Marissa said, he said he just felt like God said to him, if you will get up and pour this bottle out, I will change your life. And he did. He got up, he poured the bottle out, he went on, got on the internet and found the nearest AA meeting close to his house, he started going there, and then one of his friends said, you need to listen to this CD. And he put the CD in, and it was a message by the pastor of the church where he lives, and it, he just thought, that's what I need, that's the higher power. And so he went to church the next weekend and gave his life to Christ. Never touched alcohol again, this was four years ago, he made a life-changing decision. Now you think about how many times you have heard testimonies like that but what is the difference? I mean, what makes the difference in a game-changing decision? What's the difference? So I'm gonna give you a, a question that is the title of the message as we begin this series, and this is the question that must be answered every time you need to make a life-changing or a game-changing decision, right? So here's the title of the message today, Who's in Charge? Who's in Charge? This is the only way that you can change your life. Who's in charge? Uh, look at Joshua chapter five, beginning in verse 13. It says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. All right, I have two questions, two points today to help you help us 
answer the question, who's in charge? All right, so here's number one, if you're taking notes. Uh, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Now, to give you a little background about this passage, Joshua has become the, the leader of the nation of Israel, which means he's also now the um, uh, captain of the army. And they are going into the promised land, and he's been given the task to take this land. And I just want to remind you something about this land. It's a land of giants, all right? And this is the first city, Jericho. So he goes out in the evening, and he looks at the city of Jericho from a hill, and he turns and he looks, and there's a man standing there with a sword in his hand. Now, not in his sheath, in his hand. And so he asks a very relevant question, whose side are you on? That's in essence what he's asking. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, most theologians believe that this is Jesus, the man with the sword. And, and, and if you've never heard anything like this, there are many times in the Old Testament where Jesus actually appears to people. And so most theologians, I would say most, and I'm sure it is, most believe that this is Jesus. Now, so even, but even if it's not Jesus, it's probably an angel. But even if it's not an angel, it's a dude with a sword in his hand, okay? <laughs> it's, it's enough to get your attention. And so Joshua goes over and says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And, and when we read the passage, I think we miss the first thing Jesus actually said to him. And I, I absolutely love this answer. I want you to, I just want to read it to you again and watch this answer so you don't miss it. The end of verse 13, and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no. <laughs> uh, neither one, no. Here's what he was saying, uh, Joshua, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking me whose side I'm on, but I want to ask you whose side are you on? You see, son, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. I'm here to take over. And if you want to win this battle, you better get on my side because there are only two sides, God's side and the devil's side. So whose side are you on? By the way, I, I like this, this uh, answer, no, because sometimes, even when you're faced with two choices, the answer is no for both of them. You know, uh, you may not know this, but they're trained to ask you at McDonald's, do you want fries or an apple pie with that? And by the way, the answer is no. <laughs> so that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, no. No, I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. I'm here as the leader and if you want to win, you better get on my side. I remember uh, one time I was doing some marriage counseling and uh, I'd talked to the lady about some issues in her life and then I was talking to the man and, and I just, there just seemed to be more issues and so I was just kind of going deeper and deeper with him and a minute he said, hey, wait a minute, whose side are you on? And I said to him, I'm on the Lord's side, whose side are you on? And that is a very important question because there are only two sides. Listen, when you're, in, when you're married, there are not two sides. You know, they say there are two sides to every uh, um, issue. Well, there are God's side and the devil's side. Those are the only two sides. It's not the man's side and the woman's side. You may have two different perspectives, but even if you have different perspectives, you better get on the same side. And that's the Lord's side. So that's the very first thing he's trying to settle is, whose side are you on? You know, uh, it's, it's amazing to me, even in the church, how many sides we have. And it bothers me. 
I, I have guest speakers uh, that I know these men and I love these men and I know their character, but maybe we don't believe all the same things exactly the same way. I'm not sure you and I believe everything exactly the same way, but we can still have fellowship. I remember one, one uh, time in our first conference, we had a, a, a pastor of a seeker church and the next night we had a pastor of a word of faith church. And, and I had some people even ask me, uh, pastor, do you agree with everything that those men uh, preach? In essence, here's what they're asking me. Whose side are you on? Well, I'm on the Lord's side, just so you know, and it's time for us in the body of Christ to stop fighting and come together and win the world of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so that's the first thing he says. In essence, the Lord says, Joshua, whose side are you on? Joshua says, well, I'm on your side. What do you say to your servant? And here's what Jesus said. He said, well, the first thing we're gonna settle is you need to take your shoes off. Now, if you remember, Jesus, through a burning bush, said this to Joshua's mentor, Moses. As a matter of fact, it's the first time it's in the Bible. God shows up, Moses says, Lord, what do you wanna to say to me? He said, well, the first thing we gotta settle is take your shoes off. So what, what, what does that mean? Now, remember the first question I asked you is whose side are you on? Here's the second question I'm going to ask you. Have you taken your shoes off? See, some of you have decided to be on the Lord's side, but you haven't taken your shoes off yet. Now, when the Lord gave me this message, it was kind of milling around in my mind, and I woke up early one morning about um, two to three weeks ago at about five, and I started praying about this message. And as I was praying, I just really felt strongly that I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little different today, okay? Not right now though, but at some point during this message, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, I'd like for you just as an act of obedience, an act of submission, if the Lord prompts you, and please don't feel bad if you don't feel that or whatever, it's okay, but if the Lord prompts you, would you just slip your shoes off? Just right where you are. Not right now. Not right now, okay? I'm talking about that as we talk, because I'm going to tell you why did Moses, why did God tell Moses and Joshua to take their shoes off, and what did it represent? And, I, and we're going to go through Scripture, and I'm going to show you what it represented, okay? In the 9 o'clock service, someone said to one of our pastors, said, I noticed you didn't take your shoes off. He said, well, I, I just remembered I have two different colored socks on. <clears throat> so you don't have to do it, okay? It's not, a, that's not, the, it's not, it's just simply an outward sign uh, of an inward motivation or a movement in your part, okay? But if, if God speaks to you, you might wanna just, at some point, just slip your shoes off. Now, let me explain to you what, what it means to take your shoes off, all right? Turn to Ruth chapter four now, just a, a, again, a few pages to the left. You'll pass Judges and then you'll get to Ruth, a very small book, Ruth chapter four. Uh, let me give you the story and then we're just gonna read a couple of verses. Um, Naomi, uh, and her husband moved to Moab. They leave Israel and they move to Moab because there's a famine in Israel. Uh, and when they moved, they sold their land to uh, a relative. They sold their land to someone. And uh, they did that and had the money then to move. They go away and Naomi has two sons. Her two sons marry two, two, two ladies. And then her husband and her two sons die. And so Naomi decides to come back to the land of Israel and Ruth, her new daughter-in-law, decides to come with her. And so they come back and then uh, they have no money 
and Ruth begins to glean in the corners of the field of a very wealthy man named Boaz. And Boaz takes notice of her, and Ruth says to her, you, you can marry me, but you're not the nearest relative. You don't, so there's someone before you that would have that right. And so Boaz calls all the elders of the city together in the town square, and he says to the nearest relative, there's one guy in front of him in line that could marry Ruth. And so he says, do you want to marry Ruth? And, and the guy says, yeah. You know, I think she was a pretty good looking gal. He says, yeah. And then Boaz says, okay, but you need to know though, when you marry her, you have to buy Naomi's land back. It's going to cost you to marry her. And then the guy said, I, I don't want to marry her then. <laughs> By the way, this is indicative of a lot of guys today. You want to marry that woman? Yes, there's a cost. I don't want to marry her then. And, and by the way, guys, just so you know, no woman is free. <laughs> they all cost. I was, I, I've even been asked by young men before, Pastor, how much does it cost <laughs> to have a wife? And I'll, I'll just let you know, because I can tell you exactly what it costs. Everything you have. Okay. Everything you have, that's what it costs. Now, listen to me. That's for the ladies too. That's for everybody. The only way marriage works is, is, is all in, 100%, okay? So the guy says, I, I don't wanna marry her, you can marry her. And then I, here's where we pick up the story, all right? Look, Ruth chapter four, verses seven and eight. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. Now, I hope we learn to read the Old Testament understanding this is a true story that happened, but it all has spiritual symbolism. In other words, redeeming, remember we were redeemed and we exchanged our sin for his righteousness. So this is the custom, this is talking about salvation, all right? This is the custom for redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And notice it says this was a custom. Okay, where'd the custom come from? Let me, let me read it to you. Let me just, I'll go back just a little bit here. Deuteronomy 25, verses 7 through 10 says, this is talking about a, a man who he, uh, uh, dies and then the, near, the closest brother, the nearest relative, is supposed to marry the woman if there's not an heir, if she doesn't have a son, okay? Uh, verse 7 says, but if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. Now, just for a moment, I, I find a lot of things funny in the Bible. I just wonder how this conversation goes. Okay, now listen, this, this is your brother's wife, and the law says, he said, and I can just hear him say, I don't want to marry that woman. I have been around her at Thanksgiving. I don't want to marry that woman. My husband has told me stories about that woman. I don't want that woman. You know, I can just, you know, I'm sorry. I just can just, I just think they're, I know it's the Bible, but these are real people, okay? The elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. You need to do this. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, 
Then, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, so she gets a little retaliation there, and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called, now watch this, his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. I mean, not only does his sister-in-law get to spit in his face, he has to change his name. (laughs) I mean, he has to call all the credit card companies, he's gotta go to the bank. And then, can you imagine how embarrassing this is from now on, when like any time, you know, you're applying for something, you know, and, and the guy says, uh, name, um, um, just, just, um, just put um, the house. <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah, the, the house, just put the house. Sir, we're gonna need your full name. The house of him who had his sandal removed. Okay, so here's the point, though. What does this mean? This guy has the right to marry his brother's wife, but he's giving up the right. And the sign that God came up with to confirm that you are giving up your right is to take your shoes off. The the nearest relative to Boaz, he had the right to marry Ruth and to buy the land back, but he gave up his right, so he took his shoes off. So when God shows up to Moses, and Moses says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to take your shoes off. I want to be in charge. And that's the only way this is going to work. Now, you got to understand that Moses, I don't think, understood that at that point. But then God gave the law as they were going through uh, the wilderness. God gave them the law. So when Jesus shows up on that hillside and says to Joshua, take your shoes off, Joshua knew what it meant. And he gave up his right to be the leader. This, this phrase, give up your right, can I just go into that a little bit uh, deeper? This, uh, I was again in marriage counseling one time, the, this, the, guy, the guy said to me, but pastor, I'm right. I said, uh-huh and I'm asking you to give it up. I'm asking you to give up your right to be right. And I said to him, do you understand that's why we call it give up your right? I said, I didn't say to you, give up your wrong. It's not give up your wrong, it's give up your right. Yeah, maybe you are right, will you give it up? Will you give up the right to be right? Here's what happens when you give up your rights. You say, God, you're in charge from now on. And listen to me carefully, life doesn't work unless he's in charge. So really, who, who is in charge of your decision? Here's another way, who makes the decision? Uh, who, who, who's in charge of your marriage? Who's in charge of your finances? Who's in charge of your decisions? Who's in charge of your future? Who's in charge? Will you give up your rights? I went all through scripture and looked at this, taking your shoes off. And uh, as I was studying for this message, I saw something I'd never, ever seen before. Never put it together. What is the first thing that Jesus did at the Last Supper? You remember? He washed the disciples' feet. And it hit me 
in order for him to have washed their feet, they had to take their shoes off. And he comes to one disciple, remember, Peter, and he said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And watch what, he, what happens here. John 13, verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And watch Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, look at it closely. He didn't say, if I do not wash your feet. He said, if I do not wash you. Can I just remind us that Jesus is the only one who has the power to wash away our sins? See, Peter was right. Did you know that? Uh, a, a rabbi, a teacher, was never, ever supposed to serve his students. Peter was saying, Lord, this isn't right. And the Lord was saying, mm-hmm, will you give that up? Are you going to do it my way? Are you going to let me be in charge? And that's what I'm asking you. Who's in charge? Whose side are you on? Will you take your shoes off? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And whether or not you took your literal shoes off, that's only an outward sign of something that God's doing in your heart. But I'm asking you spiritually, in every area of your life, will you take your shoes off? Will you allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Some of you need to make a game-changing decision today. Like you heard the testimony where Marissa said, I decided to give my life to God, and she was a drug addict. Or the testimony I shared about the golfing pro that decided to stop drinking and go to church and give his life to God. Will you make a life-changing decision today? I want to help you. Someone helped me. I'm wondering if you would like to give your life to the Lord, would you allow me simply to help you for a moment? I want to lead you in a prayer. And as I pray out loud, will you just pray this prayer in your heart? Will you just simply pray in your heart right now and in essence, take your shoes off? So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. If that's you and you need to give your life to Jesus, let me lead you in a prayer. And as I pray out loud, will you just pray this in your heart? Just tell him, just pray this after me right now in your heart. Just say, dear God, tell him, dear God, I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Tell him that. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. And I receive Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior today. Thank you, Jesus for saving me today. Now, if you prayed that prayer and, and you really meant business with God, no one's looked around. Would you just put your hand up around and sit? Put it way up high. You ought to be proud to put that. Put it way up high. I prayed that prayer. I gave my life to God. Thank you. Every campus, God bless you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. And listen to me. It's very important. Please hear me. It's very important. No matter which campus you're attending right now, it's very important. In just a moment, we're going to have one more worship song. At that time, if you have any prayer need, you can come to one of the leaders at the front. But for those of you that prayed that prayer and you gave your life to the Lord, 
I'm going to ask you to come to one of those leaders and to say, I gave my life to the Lord today. Let me tell you why I'm asking you to do this. Two reasons. Listen very carefully. They're both scriptures. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before someone, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you'll confess me before someone, so I'm just asking you to tell one person, one of our leaders, I'll confess you before my Father. Also, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So I'm asking you, in just a moment, we're going to ask people to come for prayer. There are going to be a lot of people coming. You won't be the only one, no matter which campus you're attending. You just come to one of the leaders and say, I gave my life to the Lord. I prayed that prayer with the pastor today. And let us pray with you and let us help you. Make up your mind. Please make up your mind. You're going to come. If you have a friend or a spouse beside you, you might want to say, I need to go. Will you go with me? Or if you know, if, if you've got, if, if someone beside you and you think they might want to go, you could say, if you want me to, I'll go with you. Make up your mind right now, no matter which campus you're attending, as soon as we stand, you're going to stand up and step out and come. And if you're on the second level at, at South Lake, you can go toward, at every exit, we have leaders there. You can just go to one of those leaders and tell them, I gave my life to the Lord. Last night, it was something because I watched big grown men walking down the aisle without their shoes on. And you can come with your shoes on or shoes off. That's not the point. The point is, will you give your life to Jesus? If you prayed that prayer and gave your life to the Lord, or if you have any prayer need, as soon as we stand up at every campus, you just stand up and step out and come. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for people who made life-changing decisions today. And I ask you, Lord, to give them the courage to come and to confess you to one person that they're giving their lives to you today at every campus in Jesus' name. Amen.